Good evening to each of you. It is certainly a blessing to be here, as I already mentioned, and looking forward to what the Lord has for us this week. You know, it, it really is that simple, isn't it? You know, sometimes I think just talking to the children, you know, reminds myself, you know, it's really that simple. And somehow we complicate things, we make things hard. And yet when God puts a thumb on an area in our lives, I think it's important that we heed to that still small voice. And that's my desire here this week, as that verse that I already mentioned, if we hide, we will not prosper. And so we need to be open. And again, when God speaks to us, we avail ourselves to that, we heed to that still small voice. This evening for a message, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Luke, the 14th chapter. I'd like to, this evening, take a message from Luke chapter 14, a familiar passage of scripture here for the first night of revivals. And while you're turning there, I'd like to share this story with you. Maybe you've heard it before, but it's one that I've, that often speaks to me as I read it. The story goes like this. In 1904, William Borden graduated from a Chicago high school as heir to the Borden family fortune. He was already wealthy. For his high school graduation present, his parents gave 16-year-old William Borden a trip around the world. As the young man traveled through Asia, the Middle East, and Europe, he felt a growing burden for the world's hurting people. And finally, Bill Borden wrote home about his desire to be a missionary. One friend expressed disbelief that Bill was throwing himself away as a missionary. A story that was often associated with William Borden says this, that in response to this, to what this uh, friend was, was claiming, that he was throwing himself away as a missionary, he wrote, these two words in the back of his Bible, he wrote the words, no reserves. Even though young Borden was wealthy, he arrived on the campus of Yale University in 1905, trying to look like just one more freshman. And very quickly, however, Borden's classmates noticed something unusual about him, and it wasn't that he had lots of money. One of them wrote, he came to college far ahead spiritually of any of us. He had already given his heart in full surrender to Christ. We who were his classmates learned to lean on him and find in him a strength that was solid as a rock. Borden's missionary call from the Lord eventually narrowed to the, to the Muslim Kansu people in China. And once he fixed his eyes on that goal, Borden, he never wavered. He also challenged his classmates to consider missionary service. And one of the classmates said of William, he certainly was one of the strongest characters I had ever known, and he put backbone into the rest of us there at college. There was a real iron in him, and I always felt he was of the stuff that martyrs were made of, an heroic missionary a more modern times, if you will. Although he was a millionaire, William Borden seemed to realize that he must always be about his father's business and not wasting time in the pursuit of amusement. Upon graduation from Yale University, William Borden turned down some high-paying job offers. It has been reported that in the Bible, that in his Bible, William Borden wrote two more words, no retreat. William Borden went on to graduate work at Princeton Seminary in New Jersey. When he finished his studies in Princeton, he sailed for China. 
Because he was hoping to work with Muslims, he stopped first in Egypt to study Arabic. While William Borden was in Egypt studying Arabic, he contracted spinal meningitis, and within a, a month, 25-year-old William Borden passed away. And when the news of William Borden's death was cabled back to the United States, the story was carried by nearly every American newspaper. A wave of sorrow went around the world, and Borden not only gave away his wealth, but he gave away himself for the cause of Christ in a way that was so joyous and so natural that it seemed a privilege rather than a sacrifice. It seemed a privilege rather than a sacrifice. Was William Borden's untimely death a waste? Not in the eyes of an almighty sovereign God. As the story has it, prior to William Borden's death, Borden had written two more words in the back of his Bible underneath the words, no reserves, no retreats. He is reported to have written the words, no regrets. It's a pretty tough commitment tonight, church family. When we go all the way from no reserves to no regrets. Complete surrender with William Borden in his life. Luke chapter 14, beginning at verse 25, if you will, please. And there were great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father, his mother, and wife, and children, and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also he cannot be my disciples. And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciples. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he hath sufficient to finish it? Verse 29 says, Lest happily after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it began to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else, while the doctor is yet a great way off, he sendeth an, an ambassage and desireth Conditions of peace, so likewise whosoever he be of you, that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land, nor fit for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. So tonight really... I have two questions for us to consider. Is there reserves in my life? Is there things in my life that I'm not letting go of? You see, I can think of my own life. I was that person. I was that person that for, you know, I came to Christ at a rather, at an older age. I was 26 years old when I gave my life to Jesus. When I totally surrendered to him. You see, there was things in my life that I wasn't willing to let go of. They were too dear to my heart. And I could probably take you to the spot in the road. I can remember driving down the road as I was beginning to count this cost. I remember I was weeping. Tears were running down my eyes. And Jesus would say, what about this area of your life? And then, you know, it might go a day or so and I would surrender that and then the next day he'd say, well, what about this area of your life? And I remember 
one specific moment through that journey. I remember just driving down the road, and I remember just crying out to God, and I said, God, can I just keep something for myself? You are really just one jealous God. You want all of it. You want everything. Jesus says, that's right, Jeff. I want all of you. Tonight, brothers and sisters, God wants all of you. He wants 100% of our lives. He's not okay with leftovers. He wants to be number one. And so this, this evening I ask, is there reserves in my life? Is there something that I'm holding on to that I'm not willing to let go? Even though William Borden could have been a millionaire, he was not willing to put earthly pursuit ahead of following Jesus. No reserves. This evening, are you willing to write those words in the back of your Bible or wherever it might be and write the words, no reserves. I'm sold out to God. That's who I really want to be. You see, Jesus says some really hard words here in Luke chapter 14. He says in verse 26, Jesus says, if you love your family or yourself more than you love me, you cannot be my disciples. And I don't know about you, but tonight, that is, those are hard words to me. And Jesus does say some hard words in Scripture. What is he talking about when he talks about, when he talks like this? Well, I believe in comparison to one's devotion to Jesus Christ, one's family ties must be secondary. Our family ties are to be secondary. No, this teaching does not set aside Jesus' other teachings to love your enemies and to honor your parents and so on. But I believe this teaching is highlighting that absolute loyalty to Jesus Christ is paramount. It's paramount. It's that important. It's that important. In this passage of Scripture, verse 25, it says... And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them. See, there was great multitudes that were following Jesus here in Scripture. And I kind of try to, I try to picture things, and so I try to picture the setting. The great multitudes were coming after Jesus, and he was healing. He was doing great teachings, and great things were happening, and he, this crowd was coming after him. And you know, we like crowds. We like the gatherings. We like... You know, it makes us feel like we must be doing something right. But there was a big crowd following Jesus here. And I think, to me, it seems like that Jesus became skeptical of this crowd. Almost as though he was asking the question, are you sure that you are following me for the right reasons? You see, Jesus, he became a little skeptical. What is it that you're really looking for in life? People who were following Jesus wanted to hear his teaching and see his miracles, but Jesus sensed that many of them were insincere and shallow in their walk with him. Shallow and insincere. I heard someone say this one time. It says, if the pathway that you're traveling is the least trodden, you are sure to be on the right path. This is the pathway that you're traveling the least trodden. Or are you the one to go after the crowd? 
You know, it makes me think of the narrow way and the broad way. There's a narrow pathway that leads to eternity with Jesus. Are we on that narrow path? Have you made that commitment? Are you still hanging on to things in your life that you have not surrendered to him? Verse 27 says again, if you're not willing to bear your cross and follow him, you cannot be my disciple. And this evening I believe that our crosses could all be different. I believe it speaks of the disapproval and the contempt that we might experience at times when we decide to follow Christ and live for him. We just came through communion service last Sunday, which I had the honor to preach that service, and I shared some from John chapter 19. There, the crucifixion account, we have a perfect example of Jesus picking up his cross. A perfect example for us to follow. Picking up our cross. He, Jesus carried his own cross. He gave his life. He was mocked. He was beaten. He was hated by the world. And should you and I expect any different? Should we expect anything different than that? Yes, Jesus does say some hard words here. Unless you're willing to carry your cross and make me number one ahead of all your relationships, you cannot be my disciples. Absolute loyalty and willing to follow Jesus, even if it means suffering. I'd like to look at a few verses in Genesis chapter 2. If you would just hold your finger in Luke chapter 14. Turn with me back to Genesis chapter 22, if you will, please. It's a familiar passage of scripture here in Genesis chapter 22. It's the account of scripture here where God asked Abraham to go on a journey. He asked him to offer his son Isaac on an altar. And God didn't really tell Abraham where he was going. <coughs> he told him to... And it says in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 22, it says this, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. That word tempt means he tested Abraham. And God was about to put Abraham to a test. And he told Abraham to go out there, you know the story. I just kind of tell it in my own words. He told him to take Isaac with him, go to a place where he tells him, and there he is supposed to offer his son on the altar as a sacrifice. And there again, just kind of picture the scene. In Genesis chapter 22, verse 7, And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, My father, and he said, Here am I, here, here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire in the wood. This was, this was, this was Isaac, he said, Look, Here's the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb? Where's the lamb for this burnt offering? See, Isaac, you know what? He carries the wood. Here it is. But where's the lamb? Where's this lamb that we're going to offer and make this sacrifice? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them together, and they came to the place which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there, and he laid the wood in, the or in, wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. 
And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. And then he says these words, he says, For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that, the, that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Church family, tonight sometimes God puts us to the test and he just wants to know. He said, I just, he told Abraham, now I know. You know, I feel God does that sometimes in my own life. Jeff, now I know what's real important to you. Do I pass those tests when I'm tested from God? Is there reserves in my life? You know, I think the important thing this evening, have I fully surrendered my life to Jesus? Have I made that commitment? Have I even started my journey? Maybe you're here tonight and you're just not even quite sure. I think the importance of being ready when Jesus comes again. Matthew chapter 24, the disciples of Jesus, Jesus talking about the end of the world and what it's going to be like. Matthew chapter 24, and the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, and they say, Jesus, tell us when this will come to pass. Tell us, Lord. You know, what, when this is going to happen? And Jesus went on there in Matthew chapter 24, and he tells him that all these things are going to come to pass before the end of the world comes. There's going to be earthquakes and famines and rumors of wars and wars and famine. All these things are going to happen before the end comes. In verse 13 of Matthew 24, Jesus says, he says, but he that shall endure until the end, that person will be saved. That person that is ready, that made preparation, the one that is ready, the one that endures until the end, he shall be saved. We're going down a little farther in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, it says, But of the day and the hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall it also be at the coming of the Son of Man. That's what it's going to be like when Jesus comes. Listen to me, church family this evening. It's not a matter of if Jesus comes again. It's a matter of when he comes again. Jesus is coming back for his bride. As I continue to read this scripture, we can look at the next verses. And I encourage you to read them. But Jesus time and time again, yes, the disciples asked, Lord, tell us when these things are going to happen. And time and time again, Jesus just told his disciples to be ready. That's what he tells them. And brothers and sisters, tonight we cannot overdo that. It's important that we are ready when Christ comes again. And when we look about and we see all that's happening in the world, oh, my friends, I, I just, I know the church has been saying it for years. But I believe that time's drawing close. I believe it could happen any day now. And we need to be ready for his return. Verse 44 of Matthew 24, Jesus says, Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not the Son of Man cometh. Jesus says to be ready. Are you ready tonight for his return? 
Also here in Matthew 24, something else that is also very powerful as I think about it. Verses 39 to 42. And again, it's Jesus' words. He says, and, and, and knew not until the flood. Maybe I'll start at verse, <coughs> verse 38. It says, for as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day of Noah entered into the ark. Verse 39 says, And knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. He says in verse 40, Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken, and the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding in the mill, the one shall be taken, and the other shall be left. Watch therefore, or in other words, be ready, for you know not what, your, what, your, what hour your Lord does come. As I, read my, as I read the Bible here in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus' own words here, he says that the reality someday is going to be that there's going to be some people that are left behind. That's the reality. Imagine what it would be like for Christ to return and not have been made preparation and not have been ready. It's going to be a reality someday. So I think it's important. It's very important that we make ourselves ready. No reserves in my life. Secondly, this evening, the second phrase that William Borden wrote in his Bible were, the second phrase William Borden wrote when things got difficult in his life, he wrote the words, no retreat. No retreat. The word retreat means to move back from, to withdraw. William Borden said, even though I could have a high-paying job, even though I could make a, new, a name for myself, William wrote the words in the back of his Bible, no retreat. Meaning that he never wanted to waver from following Christ. And this evening I wonder if I reflect, as I reflect in my life, you reflect on your life. Rather it's a year ago, five months ago, Am I growing in my walk with Jesus? Am I closer to him than I was a year ago? Or maybe I should ask this way. Is the pathway that you're traveling going to take you to where you want to go? Is the pathway that I'm really traveling is going to take me to the destination that I want to end up? Verses 28 to 30 here in Luke chapter 14 Verses 28 to 30, Jesus asks us to count the cost of discipleship before we commit our lives to him. And yes, this evening it is important before making significant decisions in life to sit down first and count the cost. Being certain that we are willing to abandon our lives wholeheartedly to Jesus Christ. For onlookers will tend to mock and make fun of us if we start the Christian life and we fizzle along the way. And church family, I'm I'm human, this is every one of us here tonight. But there's times in our lives where we stumble and we fall. That happens in life. It happens to me. But the important thing is tonight that we get back up and continue on our Christian journey. Is there some retreat in my life? Is there something that, that I shrank back from? That I'm not as close to God as I once was? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 25, if you will, please. 
It's a very powerful parable here in Scripture. It says this, it says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their, in their vessels with their lamps. And while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. And all those virgins arose, and they trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go, your, go, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, came and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. And afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and he said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. You know, I often think about this passage of Scripture. This parable of the ten virgins, it says there was ten of them. Five were wise and five were foolish. And the point I think that I would like to make tonight as we think about this parable is the fact that there were ten virgins that started out. They all wanted to be a part. But when the cry was made, five of them were not ready. And brothers and sisters, tonight there was five virgins that were carrying lanterns that were unlit. They, were not, they had no oil in their vessel. They had no oil in their lamps. Tonight I feel that oil could represent the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure. We could look at all that, but I think that again the essence is to be ready. To make sure that your lamp is burning brightly for, for God. Brothers and sisters, tonight it's a great concern of mine. There's too many Christian people today that their lamps are not burning. They're carrying a lantern they desire to be a part. But they're not ready. Their lamp is not burning. They're carrying a lantern that is not lit for God. In 1945... <coughs> Billy Graham wasn't the only young pastor packing auditoriums. Chuck Templeton and Bron Clifford were accomplishing the same thing and even more. All three young men were in their mid-twenties. One seminary president after hearing Chuck Templeton preach. One evening in an audience of thousands, he called him the most gifted and most talented young preacher in America. Templeton and Graham became very close friends. They started preaching together with the Youth for Christ organizations. And most observers thought that Templeton would be the one who would go to the top. One magazine wrote a future article calling Templeton the Babe Ruth of evangelism. The second great evangelist was none other than Bron Clifford. Yet another gifted 25-year-old fireball. 
1945, many believed that Clifford, the most gifted and powerful preacher the church had seen in centuries, in that same year, Clifford preached to an auditorium of thousands of people in Miami, Florida. Miami, Florida. People lined up 10 and 12 deep outside the auditorium trying to get in. His crusades took him all over the United States and Europe. And at age 25, Clifford had touched more lives. He influenced more leaders. And he set more attendance records than any other clergyman his age in American history. He was tall. He was handsome. He was intelligent. He was eloquent. And yes, he seemed to have everything. And the third young evangelist was none other than Billy Graham. He was Templeton's preaching partner with Youth for Christ. And eventually branching out on his own, his impassioned pleas for the gospel have gone around the globe and lasted for more than 60 years. Templeton, Clifford, and Graham. What happened to these men? Chuck Templeton convinced that he needed an education to be, an, to be the Christian leader he needed to be. He enrolled in seminary. And two years later, in 1949, he came out an agnostic. He left the ministry. He parted company with his close friend, Billy Graham. And he decided he was no longer a Christian in the orthodox sense of the term. And he did not believe the Bible to be the inspired word of God. And by 1950, he no longer believed in the validity of the claims of Jesus Christ at all. He pursued a career as a radio and television commentator and newspaper columnist. And over the years, he wrote articles against Christianity and eventually writing the book, Farewell to God, My Reasons for Rejecting the Christian Faith. It says that he died in 2001 of Alzheimer's disease. By 1954, Bron Clifford had lost his ministry, his family, his health, and then his own life. And after a few years of preaching, alcohol and financial irresponsibility did him in. He wound up leaving his wife and their two Down syndrome children. And at just 35 years of age, this once great preacher died from cirrhosis of the liver in a run-down motel in the edge of Amarillo, Texas. His last job was selling used cars on a dusty town, on the dusty edge of town. It says that some pastors in Amarillo took up a collection among themselves in order to purchase a casket so that this body could be shipped back east for decent burial in a cemetery for the poor. In 1945, three men with extraordinary gifts were preaching the gospel to multiply thousands of people across America. Within 10 years, within just 10 years, only one of them was still on track for serving the Lord. Brothers and sisters, this evening, great beginnings are not near as important as a good ending. Way more important to have a good ending. No retreat, no retreat in my life. So maybe you're here this evening and you feel like you stumbled and you need help to get back up. Maybe there's something in your life. You need to surrender again to God. And I don't know what that could be. And tonight would be a good opportunity to do that. I think that's what revival meetings is all about. 
is to revive us again. We make commitments to God. We get right with him. Yes, God, thank you for pointing that out in my life. God, I want to grow. I want to become closer to you. I want you to have your perfect will in my life. That's really what revival is all about. Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, he said, salt is good. But if the salt has lost its flavor, with what should it be seasoned? It is neither good for the land nor for the dunghill. So the question is, have you lost your flavor? Are you carrying a lantern that is not burning? Or did you retreat to some degree in your walk with God? Closing this evening, <coughs> the story of William Borden, the last words that he wrote in his Bible was, was no regrets. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter, chapter 3, he says, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. He says, I forget those things behind. I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord. I count all things but dung that I may win Christ. Paul said, I'm pressing towards the mark and all that earthly stuff. I count it as dung. It's nothing so that I may win Jesus Christ. And I believe in essence what Paul says. He says, I'm fixing my eyes on eternity and not on the things of this world. Those that set their hearts and their minds on earthly things, their end is destruction, I believe the Apostle Paul says. And I don't know about you tonight, but for myself, when I stand before an almighty God one day, I want to hear those words, well well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. We long to hear those words, but we have not yet heard those words the way that we like to hear them. And I believe and I know in my heart that heaven will one day be worth it all if we live our lives with no reserves and no retreat. I believe there's coming a day when there will be no regrets. It'll be some day. It'll be some day. In Luke chapter 14, maybe I'd just like to mention this yet. In Luke chapter 14, this portion of scripture that we read, it also talks about this war analogy. It always kind of touches me. Verses 31 to 32, he says, Or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh again comes against him with 20,000. You know, I, think, I just think sometimes that we forget that we are fighting a battle. You know, this, this Christian life is a battle. It's not necessarily an easy road. It's a battle. 1 Peter 4 verse 12 says, Don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial that is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. And sometimes I just need to read that verse. You know, sometimes we go through, through, and I don't know what you're going through in life, but sometimes we go through things, and I just, I just need to be reminded again. There is an enemy. There is a deceiver. There is an enemy out there that wants to trip you up, that wants you to stumble and fall. There's an enemy out there that wants you to have reserves. There's an enemy that wants you to retreat. There's an enemy that wants you to, 
to have regrets at the end of life. And I think it's important that remember that we remember that. Ephesians chapter 6 says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, and against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, he says, Stand therefore. Stand therefore. I believe while you and I should never underestimate the strength of the opposing enemy, we should never underestimate the strength of the opposing enemy. We must always remember, even though he might be mighty, God is almighty. He is almighty. You know, I often think of the story of David and Goliath. Goliath said to David, what do you think I am? You know the story of David and Goliath, how he killed that giant. Goliath says, what do you think I am? You think I'm a dog? And David said, Goliath, you come with a sword and with a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. And when we come with that power, there is power. He gives us the power. He gives each one of us the power to live a victorious Christian life. Sometimes we fall down. Sometimes we make mistakes. But God has equipped us with enough spiritual armor and weaponry to live a victorious Christian life. But we need to put it on and we need to apply it to our lives. And so this evening, I'm wondering where you find yourself. Has God spoken to you tonight as you look at your life? This week, you have to look beyond me. And you have to listen to God. You come each night, you're asking God to speak to your heart, and I think he can do that. And I probably won't give an altar call every night. But I'd like to give you one this evening. I'd like to give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord. And please understand me, this is not about me. This is about you as a person and your walk with God. There's nothing more that I love is for you to grow in your walk with the Lord this week. And so if he's speaking to you about something, he wants you to prosper. Don't cover it up. If you're unsure about your salvation, make it sure. Make it sure. And you know, some, you know, there's something within us that just fights that, isn't there? We just fight it. And we don't want to respond and we hold on. And, and you know, I always think of the words in Scripture that talk about how there's more angels in heaven that rejoice over one sinner that repented over than 99 just persons that, not went, not, that went not astray. And you know, this should be a safe place. This should be a place where we can get right with God. And brothers and sisters, this church body here will get behind you. That's what it's all about. We're not fit on our own. 
We can't make it on our own. We need the church. We need each other. And I believe this should be the safest place in the world to get right with God. If something is bugging you tonight, get right with God. And somebody <coughs> somebody from the ministry team will be glad to meet with you afterward. That's what we're here for. And so I'm going to ask the chorister to lead us in a verse of song. And I believe it's very important to make it clear on an altar call. And so tonight as we sing a verse of song, and if God is asking you, Maybe you've never really made that commitment. Maybe you never really surrendered your life to God. And tonight is your opportunity. God's calling me home. And you want to make a commitment to him. I'm going to ask you to get out of your seat and come to the front bench. And immediately somebody will come. They will meet with you and they'll take you to the minister's room, wherever that might be. But somebody will be glad to pray with you lead you in prayer, or whatever that might be. So what song shall we sing? 397. 397. Christian hymnal? 397 in the Christian hymnal. If God is calling you to make a commitment to him, get out of your seat, come forward, sit here in the front bench, and some, one of the ministry team here will come forward, and they'll meet with you, and they'll, they'll go pray with you in the minister's room. Let's sing a verse of 397. Go ahead. second part of this invitation. Go ahead, show a second. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for your prayers. I felt your prayers for the last week as I was preparing. Thank you. Please come praying. I kind of tend to take these meetings one day at a time. I have sort of an idea where I might go, but I want to be open to the Holy Spirit. So keep praying. And I invite you back tomorrow night. Let's stand for a closing prayer, shall we? Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your cleansing blood. Thank you, God, for the relationship we can have with you, that our sins can be washed away. We can have a relationship with you and a hope that someday we can be with you. 
Thank you for this congregation. I pray you bless each one in a special way. Dismiss us with your blessing tonight. Go with us and keep us and grant us safety as we travel. And Lord, we just commit the rest of this week to you as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Closing verse, please. Then you're dismissed.